We are so glad you're with us at South City Church. Uh, you may remember last week I said that Brother Jerry and I would be headed to uh, Cuba the next day on Monday, and we did. We left, and uh, we got a picture of me and, and Jerry and our friend Jamie George uh, to show you overlooking the old city of Havana. We can figure out our computer system back there. Um, but we had such a good time. We got a chance to spend time with uh, pastors and missionaries. We got a chance to hear stories of what God is doing. There we are. Um, so Jamie is a world-class violin player. Many of you know him. And uh, we actually went on this trip at his invitation. So he took us on this trip. And he, this is the country of his birth. He wanted us to see where he was from, and he wanted us to see some of the struggles uh, of the country of Cuba, and we saw them. Uh, we got a chance, like I said, to, to be with pastors and missionaries and, and encourage them, but more, more so they encouraged us. Jamie got to give a concert. Uh, we saw six people come to know the Lord as a result of that concert. Um, we had another concert that was different one than his. Uh, a young woman prepared a meal for us, a lunch for us, in a very meager home. And we had a wonderful lunch, and after lunch, her husband said, well, we're, we're a very musical family, and he began to play a song on his phone. And as he began to play that song, his wife began to sing. I mean, and at first what felt like, wow, okay, we're going to be sung to at the dinner table here, which is a little strange, a little awkward, turned into the most beautiful worship service you, can, you just can't imagine. I couldn't understand a thing she was saying. But my spirit was connected to the spirit of God. And I began to just weep. And I looked around the room at all the other men that were around the table. And we were all just weeping. And it was, it was special. We got to uh, spend some time with a missions organization that has 600 missionaries just on their side of the island. And they told us that the Lord is doing a great work in Cuba. That over just the last few years, 200,000 people have come to know Jesus in Cuba. Isn't that good? God is doing a work in Cuba. And, and I'm, I'm excited to tell you, we took a little bit of money from, from our church, and we were able to bless a few different people, and part of what we, we gave to as a result of being there was we, we're sponsoring two of those missionaries for a year in Cuba to do the work of ministry in Cuba. South City Church is sponsoring them, so that's, that's a special thing. It was neat to be able to give towards that. Um, People make between $15 and $30 a month in Cuba. And uh, though that's not enough to live on, that's what they make. And so they find other little ways to get little bits of income. Uh, but it was such a blessing. God's doing amazing work there. And I got a chance to pick up, you know, anytime I go somewhere around the world or in, somewhere in the country, I have to pick up, like, toys for my girls, right, T-shirts, stuff. I got to bring, I, it's basically a bribe so they don't tear the house apart. I say, I'm bringing you something, just take, you know, keep, it, keep your cool, don't drive your mom completely crazy. And so we went around, we found some different toys and fun things, and some dear friends of mine uh, heard that I was going to the country of Cuba, and they wanted some toys as well from the country of Cuba. And, and many of you may not know this, but evidently the, the island of Cuba produces some of the best cigars in the world. Now, I'm not a huge cigar fan by any means. But some of my friends are very big cigar fans. And so decided to pick them up some cigars that we thought were, man, these are going to be the best cigars in the world. And we're, we've got a, a, 
somebody that somebody knows somewhere, and it's going to just be an amazing thing. We're going to get these cigars, the best cigars in the world, for very cheap. And as we brought, we brought home almost 200 cigars. And so as I got home, I started realizing, wait, we got these really cheap. I'm, I started going, wait, just you typically get what you pay for. If, that's, if that statement's true, you get what you pay for, then maybe we didn't get the right thing. I started looking online and comparing the real thing to what we had, and we didn't have the real thing. So uh, anyway, I had to break the news to all of the uh, friends that were expecting these fancy cigars. But um, the thing is interesting is it's really hard to tell the difference. Very tiny little details. I'm, I'm looking at videos online, and I'm seeing all these tiny little things that make what seems to be real not real. And I thought this week, man, how interesting that we're in this portion of our story of the church. And the reality is when you walk into a church, it's very hard to tell who's real and who's not. Who's an authentic believer in Jesus and who's an inauthentic believer in Jesus. It's very hard to tell. So we're going to get into our story of the church, our study in Acts today. Look with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 4. This is going to be the very end of the chapter. In fact, I'm going I'm to go back just a little ways from our text last week so that we can kind of read this in context. This is Acts 4.34. says this, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Whether the young, uh, when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, this story is a little different than the rest of the story. I mean, for four whole chapters, we've been in the story of the church, and it's been beautiful, hasn't it? I mean, it's been, like I said last week, it's almost too good to be true. God is doing amazing things in this movement of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known as Messiah among the Jews. Amazing things, miracles, amazing mo movement of the Spirit. God is doing so much, almost too good to be true, and then all of a sudden, it got real, real fast, didn't it? Chapter 5. See, Luke is showing us this uh, beautiful example of how the believers 
are supporting the work of ministry. How believers are giving out of the abundance of their hearts. In fact, I said last week, we don't see again in, in the New Testament where this kind of giving is, is shown anywhere else. This is incredible giving. They're bringing houses. They're bringing land. They're bringing, th they're bringing things freely to the church, to the Lord, laying it at the apostles' feet. And then all of a sudden we see a very great contrast. And what Luke does here is he, he shows these two men as two examples. Literally the right and the wrong way to give, right? It's the, I mean, it's just two polar opposites. Barnabas gives out of his heart, out of the graciousness, kindness of his heart. We see his heart in the way he gives, and yet he's juxtaposed, right, to Ananias who gives with something else, a desire for something else, an, an ultimatum. But before we, we get into the story too much, I want to learn a little bit about Barnabas. I want you to understand who we're talking about. When we talk about Barnabas, this is his, his first mention here, but not the last mention, okay? Uh, first thing we know is that his name is Joseph, but because I guess he, he got a nickname from the apostles because he was such an encourager, such a comforter. I guess to be around this guy, they just, they just loved him to death. So they literally changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Uh, the text shows us that he's a Levite. That means that he's a part of the priestly tribe of those that care for the temple and those that minister in the temple. Now, that's different because the other people we've seen who've been a part of the temple, they've not been very good people, right? We've seen them uh, judge Jesus, murder Jesus. We just saw in chapter 4 um, the Sanhedrin, which would have been part of the priestly tribe, part of his family. They judge and almost stone Peter and John. I mean, what this shows is that not everyone connected to the temple is an enemy of Jesus. That some of those people decided to trust that Jesus was the Messiah and follow him. And so that's very interesting. He's, he's a, a Levite. He's from the island of Cyprus. Uh, he's related to Mark, according to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, in Acts 9, this is, it just gets better and better. In Acts 9, Barnabas is the guy who introduces a newly converted Saul... Remember Saul who changes his name to Paul? This is the guy who's killing Christians. He's on a hunt, a manhunt to kill Christians. It's the same thing as me walking into your home with the leader of ISIS. Hey guys, check out my new buddy. What would you do? You would be like, uh, that's the, no, that's the, right? That's who Paul, that's who Saul was. And it was Barnabas. Barnabas is the guy who brings Saul, now, he, now called Paul, into the, to the mix. And Saul uses uh, Barnabas' relational credibility with the group to say, no, Jesus has done an amazing work in his life. He's changed him, and he's using him already for the glory of God. That was Barnabas that made that introduction. Uh, we see in uh, Acts 11.24, Luke calls Barnabas a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's a pretty good uh, recommendation, huh? Then we also see in chapter 11 that he takes on a mission uh, to Greek converts in Antioch. He also, in chapter 11, accompanies Paul in his early mission work. And then we see in Acts 13, he co-pastors the church at Antioch with Paul. He's, he's becoming a big deal, isn't he? Acts 13, he goes on the, verse, the very first missionary journey with Paul. And you know where he goes? To the island of Cyprus. 
It's almost as if, I mean, we, can't, we don't know for sure, but it's almost like Barnabas said, I know a lot of people that need Jesus. My family, my friends, can we, can we go to Cyprus? Who knows? But he, he accompanies Paul to Cyprus. And then we see in Acts 15 that he represents the church at Antioch before the Jerusalem Council, which was a big deal. This is what I, listen, this is what I love about this story and this look into who Barnabas is. We get to see in, in Acts 4, at the end of the chapter, we get to see here the condition of his heart before we see the impact of his life. You see that? We see Barnabas as a giver, as an encourager, as somebody who wants to live the way he speaks. He's following up his words with his life. He's authentic. He's giving out of the abundance of his heart. We see the beautiful condition of his heart before we see the impact of his life. Now, this is what it means to us. That'll always be the case for you, for me, for any of us. Before God uses any of us to do anything, he needs to see the condition of our heart in the right place. He needs to see that our hearts are going to be obedient to him, that we're going to love, that we're going to be the real deal. We're not going to be inauthentic. It's from this small, meager introduction of Barnabas that we get to see into his life, and then we get to see the impact of that life throughout the early church. It's, pretty, it's, it's not insignificant. This is a big character in the story of the church. Uh, so, the first statement on your card this morning, uh, it's easy to look at this story and see giving, <laughs> see two examples, to see the giving of, of Barnabas, see the giving of Ananias, but this story is not necessarily about giving, really. It's deeper than that. It's about the condition of our hearts, it's about authentic or inauthentic faith. The story's really not about giving, it's about the condition of our hearts, it's about inauthentic or authentic faith. Barnabas gives out of his heart with a desire to be a blessing, with a desire to be gracious and kind and trusting of the Lord. Ananias gives, with his wife's knowledge, deceitfully. Why? They give so that they can seem religious. They give because they want to fit in a clique of fancy religious people. At least that's what they think. If we can just seem like we're giving everything, we'll seem really, really religious, really something special, super spiritual. And so we're going to take a look at this question that Peter asked. And, and if we don't look into this kind of deep, deeply this morning, it can be a very confusing text. So I want us to look at this together. This is Acts chapter 5 and verse 4. Let's read this together. It says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Peter's asking this question to Ananias, basically saying, you didn't have to sell this. Who, nobody here told you to sell this property. When, when it hadn't sold, wasn't it still yours? You had the choice. You're the one that made the choice to sell the property. This was on you. You, you made this choice. And then he says, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, Okay, so you made the choice to sell it. The money's yours. You could have done anything you wanted with the money. It's at your disposal. And then he asked this question. Why then? Is that, that you've contrived this deed in your heart. You have not lied to man, but to God. You see, the problem is Ananias evidently 
sold a, pro a piece of property, and then he brought a portion of it, but he didn't tell the church that it was a portion. He told the church, this is the amount that I paid for it. But really, he held back an amount. He lied. He was deceptive so that he could have approval of man over approval of God, thus rejecting God's provision. You know, anytime we give, we need to give out of love. We need to give out of joy. We need to give out of the abundance of our life, the abundance of our heart. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says this. The point is, is this. Whoever sows sparingly with a little bit, sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever uh, sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly and not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Peter's saying to him, man, you didn't have to bring, you didn't have to sell, first of all, you didn't have to sell the property, and if you sold it, you didn't have to give any of it to the church. Or you know what? You could have given some and kept some. Just be honest about it. Just be truthful. Don't try to be something that you're not. See, the problem here is that he lied. He lied. He kept some of the sale back that he didn't tell the truth about. But it's not just the surface situation. It's not just a lie. And in our lives, it's never just a surface sin. There's always a root problem. And Ananias and Sapphira's root problem, the surface sin, lying. The root problem, hypocrisy. I looked up the word hypocrisy to, to look at some of the synonyms for hypocrisy. Here's some of the words. Insincerity. Pretense, duplicity, two-faced, um, being false, having a double standard, telling a half-truth, or being fake. I began to, to write these words down. And I'll be honest, it reminded me of somebody. <laughs> it reminded me of somebody very quickly, somebody that has been half-truth, lived duplicitously somebody who has been insincere, somebody who has been fake, and that person is me. There was no question that when I began to look at this, I began to realize, I am Ananias. How often have I brought some to the Lord, but not everything? How often have I wanted to be perceived in some way, but my life didn't live up to it? big problem that I've had in my, my life is an addiction, a desire for approval. When I was in high school, it got me in trouble and it almost got me killed. You wanted me to fight, I'll fight. You want me to do something, I'll do that. And I just followed what anybody else wanted of me. To this day, it's still a vice for me. I still struggle with wanting people to like me. I want people to, to think I've done something. I want to take credit for things that I shouldn't take credit for. And to this day, as the song says, Lord, my heart is prone to wonder. I feel it. And like Ananias, I want to bring this when really I'm hiding this. We all struggle with a sin of hypocrisy at times. And Peter speaks to the issue, doesn't he? He says, 
Why have you contrived this deed in your heart? It's not just something that we do. This is, this is a matter of the heart. We have created this plan to deceive in our hearts. And then he makes this comment. He says, Ananias, you've not just lied to men. You've lied to God. I don't know, what's, I don't know what your vice is. I just mentioned what mine has been at times and still is at times. But how often do we want to be perceived in such a way and yet we hold something back over here? How often do we say, Lord, I trust you, I love you, I'll give some here, but we have an addiction over here? Or we have some aspect of failure or sin over here that we want to hide and stay in the dark? Can I just encourage you, church, to come into the light? It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how messy your life is. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or who you've been. That's God's job to clean us up, right? The Word says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's just saying, bring it. Bring your mess. Bring your sin. Bring your problem. Bring the brokenness of your life. Because this is what we do when we, we say, Lord, let me look like this, but really I'm over here. I'm going to hide this over here. You know what we're saying? We're saying, God, I can take care of that sin. I don't need you, Jesus. I got this over here. I want to look like this. I want to look like things are together, but I don't need you. I'll hold on to this thing. This is my idol. This is what I worship. Friend, will you let it go? Will you drop it? Would you come to the light as messy as your life may be and let God do his job? It's his job to forgive. It's his job to save. It's his job to change you. It's your job to be honest. It's your job to come with authenticity and the brokenness of who we are. True spirituality is about trusting God with everything. If we truly want to be a spiritual people, we can't hold things back. We've got to say, God, this is all of me. This is all of my life. Ananias couldn't do that. He didn't trust God. He didn't trust that God would take care of his needs, did he? I'm just going to keep this little bit back here because I might have a need. No, God has your needs taken care of. I'll just hold this little bit back, but you don't. I need this little bit. No, you don't. It's called an idol. And listen, can we learn from this text this morning? That idol cost Ananias and his wife their lives. True spirituality is about trusting God with everything. There's a couple, a couple of uh, doctrinal questions that this text raises, and I want us to address them. They're hard questions. I want us to look at them. The first one is this. Do you think Ananias and Sapphira were believers in Jesus? 
difficult question. I began to look into it. The reality is, yes, I think they were. They had been included in this uh, congregation of those who had believed. They had also been involved with the Holy Spirit, which means they had had a relationship with him. They were believers. Okay, so that, that leads us to the next question. Can Satan fill our hearts as believers? Can Satan so influence us that we would sin like this against the church or against the Lord? Is that possible? Yes. Don't forget this conversation. Remember the conversation between Jesus and Peter? Here's, what, here's the context. Jesus and Peter, or Jesus is telling his disciples that he has to give his life, that he has to be crucified, and Peter is passionate. Peter says, no, no, no. In Matthew 16, 22, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, Jesus. He began to rebuke Jesus, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned, this is Jesus, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Isn't that exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did? They worried about man instead of God. They wanted approval of man. They wanted to be lumped into a group of people that made them look a certain way instead of to be obedient and wholeheartedly give to the Lord in truth. So yes, Satan can fill our hearts and influence us. Here's question number three. And this will wake you up this morning. Is it possible that God would take someone's life for such a sin? I don't know about you, but I read this, and this is a scary text. Because the answer is yes, we see it in this text. Last week we took communion, and we read a portion of scripture that gives us direction for that communion. And I made the comment about when we take communion as believers in Jesus, we need to do so um, with a serious nature really thinking, reflecting on our lives, searching our hearts. I want to read that again, and I want to read an additional verse from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29, says this, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 30 says, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. What Paul's saying to the church at Corinth here is so many of us are still trying to look like Christians and not living like it. So many of us take this, this cup in an unworthy manner when our lives, our bodies, he says our bodies, we're living in such a way that doesn't honor God. And then we take this cup and we're, we're drinking judgment on ourselves to live so duplicitously. Two-faced, two lives. 1 John 5 also speaks about a sin that leads to death. Yes, it is possible. And, and I'll be honest, in 27 years of ministry, I've seen it happen. Maybe you have too. Somebody who has been a believer, but chooses to take a stand with their cultural identity instead of their heavenly identity. Maybe it's racism. Maybe it's some other stance they choose to take over the word of God. And you know what? God will take them out. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. 
we don't oppose the Lord and his mission. And this is a crazy text. It's a hard one to teach. And, and I don't completely understand, I don't completely understand it because I've seen much worse things happen in churches. I've seen pastors and leaders do bad things with what seems like lesser consequences. But what I think is happening is God is, is warning the church, especially in this early infancy stage. He's saying, church, realize the seriousness of, of, of saying one thing and doing another. Realize the seriousness of being who you say you are. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. The difference between Barnabas and Ananias is the contrast. Barnabas is filled with the Holy Spirit and gives graciously. He gives his offering freely. Ananias and Sapphira were filled with Satan's influence and they gave with an ulterior motive the, the approval of man. Let's continue our, our reading in Acts 5, verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now look, look right here for a second. Husbands. Believers, leaders of your home, listen up. Wives, moms, leaders in your home, listen up. I want to make you a statement this morning, and I want you to hear the truth of it. See, the reality is truth and integrity will lead in our homes. And if they do, they'll bring life or temptation and deception will lead in our homes and they will bring death. I'm going to say it again. Truth and integrity can lead in your home. It can lead in how you live, how you love, how you work, the things you watch on television, the things you access online, the things, the way you speak to your wife, the way you speak to your children, the way you speak to the neighbors. Truth and integrity can, can lead in your home and bring unbelievable, abundant life in Jesus. Or temptation and deception can lead in your home, and every single time it will bring death. Maybe not as quickly as what we see in this story, but trust me, we can go either way. And it's our job, it's our job just to come honestly, truthfully with who we've been so that the Lord can make us who he wants us to be. Peter gives this woman a chance, doesn't he? I feel like as I read this, I can almost see Peter saying, come on, Sapphira, in his heart, come on, I hope you give me the right answer. Did, did you sell the property for what you said you sold it for? Can you just feel that? She chooses to stay with their original plan, the plan that they contrived in their heart. She says, yes, yes, for so much. Peter, I can just feel his frustration saying, why? Why have you contrived in your heart to do this thing, to sin against the Holy Spirit? Your husband's dead and now you're dead. Mm. You know what I think about that? I think this. I think, 
that was a grace-filled moment. In that moment, Peter was saying, you got a chance right here. You got a chance, I sure hope you take it. You can choose. Sapphira could have chosen in that moment to say, Peter, no, we lied. And I'm sorry, I want to repent. I want to bring my sin before you, before the Lord. I want to be honest. And I don't believe God would have, would have murdered her. I believe she would have lived. She would have grown. And in the same way this morning, you sit and I sit today in this place in a moment of grace. We have the same opportunity she had right now in this moment. And that moment is filled with a question. What is your price? What's your price? Because Ananias and Sapphira, they, they chose their price. They chose their Savior. They chose their God. And we each have a price. Their fear of man was greater than their fear of God, and they lost their lives because of deception. This, this message this morning is, is titled, Death of Deception, but it's not just a clever little name for a, a message, it's the truth of our lives. When we choose to continually be led by temptation and deceit, it'll kill us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly, but the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. Just encourage you this morning, you know. What I've learned is that secrets, deception, half-truth, faking it, it all leads to death. But honesty, authenticity, brokenness, Complete truth leads us to life. The problem is we worry about the mess we bring. And far too long the church is worried about the mess. Mess doesn't matter. People are a mess. Our sin is a mess. May we bring our mess to Jesus and let him clean us up. May we bring the brokenness of our lives to him. You've heard that quote, may, may the church be a hospital for sinners instead of a museum for saints. That's our prayer. John 4, 23, Jesus is speaking to the uh, woman at the well. She was a sinner. She had been an adulterer. Here she's speaking to the creator and savior of the world. And he says to her, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Listen, your greatest act of worship is not a song you'll sing in here. Your greatest act of worship will not be attending a service here or anywhere else. Your greatest act of worship, according to Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2, is that it'll be your life. Live as a living sacrifice. It'll be your greatest act of worship. And if you're to be a true worshiper, Jesus is saying to this woman, if you really want to be a true worshiper, the only way to do that is to worship in spirit and in truth. You can't be a true worshiper and bring half-truth. Ananias was not a true worshiper. 
Barnabas was. Ananias came and brought only part of it. That's not a true worshiper. He was a deceiver. How we live our lives is the greatest worship that we can give to the Lord. Here's our next point this morning. God will protect his church. He will protect his church and he'll bring glory to himself one way or another. That's what we see in this text. It's a scary story. It's one that should give us pause. It's one that as we read it, we should go, oh, we need to take this seriously, believers. We need to really look at this. Look at what this means. Look at what happened. We should judge ourselves for how we live. Are we living? Are we worshiping in authenticity? God desires for his church to be pure. And this judgment was to show that and to be a warning to us. Here's our last verse in the text. Acts 5.11 says this. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all, of, uh, all who heard of these things. I like the way the message reads this verse. I'm going to read it in the message, can I? It says this. By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard of these things, had a healthy respect for God. They knew God was not to be trifled with. Two things happened. Great fear came upon the church, and great fear came upon the people outside of the church. People, no doubt, begin to search their hearts. Can you imagine? Two of their own fall over dead and they get carried out to be buried. And you start looking, oh, did I, did I leave anything? You start questioning everything, right? Lord, I want my heart to be pure. We should. We should search our hearts for the authenticity of our faith and the integrity of our intentions. Let's search our hearts this morning for the authenticity of our faith. Not so that we can be put in some category with some people, that we can honor God for who he is and what he's done in us, for the truth of who he is and the truth of who he's making us to be, and the integrity of our intentions. Lord, let it be real as we give. Let it be real as we serve, not with some other weird motive to be seen in some way. Let us be true. So I'm going to ask you that question just as Peter asked Sapphira. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as our musicians come? I want to ask you that same question. What's your price? Is your life, is your spiritual life, is it just a sham? Is it just for show? Mine has been. At my past, I, I, I can tell you there have been many times in my life where I have lived, tried to live a spiritual life that, that looked a certain way. It was not real. I've been there. I've done that. I've been that guy. Is your faith just for show? Are you holding on to something as Ananias and Sapphira did? Holding something back. Church, I just I want to say to us this morning, we have a moment of grace. I have no doubt that Pastor Peter loved 
Ananias and he loved Sapphira. And had you walked into that church and just looked on the surface, you would have seen what looked like the same people. Barnabas is giving, Ananias is giving. They look like they're doing the same thing. But it's not about the surface, is it? It's about the interior of our hearts and our souls and our lives. And Peter asked her a question. Did you sell the property for what you said? This is a moment of grace. You have a chance to make a choice, to choose the right thing, the right way. Will you make that choice? This morning I ask you the same thing. You have a moment of grace. Right now, you have a moment of grace to say, Lord, I want to be honest. I don't want to hold anything back. I want to bring everything, mess and all, because I want to trust you, I want to know you, I want to love you, and I want you to bring life to my family. I want you to bring life to my family, not death. We don't do this every Sunday, but I want, I want to do this this Sunday. I want this altar to be a place where you can pour out your heart to the Lord. There's no judgment here. In fact, if you choose to come down this altar and you choose to pray in this altar, we will celebrate you. We will care for you. We will pray with you and pray over you and celebrate the fact that God is doing a work in you. But may we be honest today and may we take advantage of this moment of grace that God is giving us today to make the right choice and to choose His way. Would you make that choice? We're going to sing an old song, and it just says, just like you are, just like you are, broken and all, come just like you are. Father God, you and you alone are the only one who can save. You and you alone, God, are the only ones that can, the one that can clean us up, can change us. How often, Lord, have we brought only a partial gift? How often, Lord, have we only brought part of our heart when really we've just been living out of this false reality, hoping to fit in some way, but God, our lives are a mess. Lord, may we lay it all down today. God, may we lay it all down today and may we be stripped of any pretense, stripped of any arrogance, God, that we can somehow care for our own sin. Lord, that's heresy. Only Jesus can care for our sin. So we give it to you today. We lay it at your feet as these believers laid their gifts at the apostles' feet. God, we lay our brokenness down at your feet. Would you clean us? And would you purify this church, God, that we not be a false place, that we not be worried about the mess, but we be concerned about the people. And may it start with us. May it start with me. No greater faith than me. And let, Lord, you've redeemed me and you are changing me and you're giving me hope because of Jesus and Jesus alone. We surrender to you, Lord, and we come to you alone. Not worried about a fear or, or approval of man, only concerned about approval of God. In Jesus' name we pray.